phrase that Rod Dreher coined, the law of merited impossibility. It will never happen, and when it does, you bigots will deserve it. All right, welcome back to the Loopcast, Catholic Vote's weekly rundown of all things faith, culture, and politics. And you might notice a difference here. We have a special guest. Josh, we miss you, but in your Lou, we have Peter Wolfgang. Peter, thank you for joining. Tom, thanks for having me. Good of course, to be always back. a pleasure. Second time, second time you were invited back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Peter Wolfgang is the executive director for the Family Institute of Connecticut and very, very active in that region and just overall entertaining and interesting guy. So we thought he'd be perfect for this little rundown. We no do pressure, here. Peter. No pressure. <laughs> I assume I'm here by popular demand after my last yeah, acclamation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we did. I think we got a boost in numbers after you came on so <laughs> that we kept that in our back pocket. So thanks for joining, Peter. Um, unfortunately, uh, some really tough topics to talk about here today, but something really, I think, worth discussing and worth doing some soul searching on. So uh, we are talking in wake of a, a, a horrible, unspeakable tragedy in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, there was a school shooting, a 28-year-old female, uh, she identified as transgender, uh, unfortunately took the life of three children and three adults at that school. Uh, I know my family sp- personally has been praying for everyone involved, the repose of the souls of all the people involved for healing. I mean, I, 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 have, a, I have a son. I, I, it's just, I can't, it's hard for me to even think about what could possibly be going through their heads. And of course, this has captured the nation's attention. And I think specifically what puts us in an interesting position here at the Loopcast is we deal so much with media bias. And for people who have really been following, it depends on which outlet you're following, which story you will get. And I think a perfect example of this is this news clip from ABC. ABC is a major news channel. I'm going to play for you their reporting. I think it'll do a couple of things set the stage for what we're talking about here. And I want you to listen really closely for some of the implications of this supposedly unbiased uh, news recording. Police Chief John Drake of Nashville, who is briefing reporters on the deadly grade school shooting in Nashville at the Covenant School there this morning. Uh, The police confirming uh, six dead, three children, one eight years old, two nine years old and uh, three adults, including Catherine Kuntz, who is the head of the Covenant School. Uh, The police chief uh, also said uh, that the shooter has been identified as 28-year-old female Audrey Hale. He said she's a former student of the school and confirmed that Audrey Hale was identified herself as a transgender person. Uh, State of Tennessee earlier this month passed and the governor signed a bill that banned transgender medical care for minors, as well as uh, a law that prohibited adult entertainment, including male and female impersonators after a series of drag show controversies in that state. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That was breaking news. That was quite a connection for ABC News to make. That was a leap. Yeah. So what's what really stuck out to you uh, after listening to that report? Well, the, the media seems to hint that uh, we brought it on ourselves that we Christians had it coming. That's what I get out of, um, I mean, what does one have to do with the other? That was nuts. Yeah. Well, it was yeah. a breaking news report. It just happened. Yeah. Like, for them to be able to put that together so fast, it's not accidental, right? 
Yeah. Right. I wish I could I, give them the benefit of the doubt, but it. I just. I. What are you implying? What are you implying by bringing up those laws? I want to read. This is. This was one of the reactions that most jumped out at me. Now, Terry Schilling is the. He is the president, I believe, of American Principles Project, and Chafton Buttigieg, Buttigieg, the um, the quote unquote husband of the transportation secretary, Pete Buttigieg. He put out a uh, tweet that said, my heart breaks for every parent and teacher who is watching what is happening in Nashville today. When will it end? When will it be enough? Hug your little ones close today. They deserve so much better than this. And Ter Terry Schilling responds, you told a million mentally ill people with suicidal tendencies that think they were born in the wrong body and received cross-sex, foreign hormones, that Christians were going to genocide them nonstop for three weeks. What did you think would happen? And I, like I mentioned that in the context of that ABC clip that you just played, because it, it like even at a moment like this, where you have a, a clear case of a disturbed, trans-identified individual murdering nine-year-old Christian children and their administrators, we're still going to discuss this as if. We're, we're the perpetrators rather than the victims. And I, I, it, it does feel a bit like we're, we're being set up for something like this. That's the sense I get from all this. Right. And I think for me, would that illustrate kind of two points? One, the tactic being used there, and we've talked about this before. Josh brings this up regularly, um, that that's a tactic that you see abusers using with their victims. So you'll see in a marriage where a man is beating a woman, and he'll tell her, no, you should shut up and take this because you asked for it, right? And you, like, you made me beat you up because you're so horrible. And that's, that kind of abuser language is something that Christians should absolutely walk away from and just, you know, absolutely decry because it is, it's unconscionable. The second thing that really stands out to me here with the mainstream media coverage, um, when they acknowledged the fact that Audrey, um, the suspect, uh, was confused about her gender, it was transgender, um, is this seeking to somehow absolve her personally, right? That she was disturbed. And, and in the end, no one's responsible for this, but the shooter himself or herself. And now, you know, judgment belongs to the Lord. Absolutely. Like, we don't know how culpable she is in terms of, you know, was she mentally disturbed and all of that. But like Terry Schilling said, I think we all need to take a good hard look at the rhetoric that we're using here and ask ourselves what we could have done to contribute to it. Absolutely. But in the end, it is the shooter's responsibility. And one of the tenets of the woke religion, of wokeism, is that there is no personal responsibility, right? That we're all just these sort of intersections of oppression and our behavior is somehow determined by forces outside of ourselves and we're victims. Um, that, again, that is totally contrary to what we know as Christians and what we believe as Catholics in terms of personal responsibility um, and what that means. So those were the two, you know, main themes that were sticking out to me watching that ABC clip. Yeah, and, and what I hope we can do here is get past uh, trying to find a boogeyman to blame because I think the interesting thing about this case is most times when you have something like this happen, it instantly goes to gun control measures. And mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. Yep. There's another, plenty another of, point. Yeah. There's plenty of politicians right now talking about how gun control is the problem here. Is that we, And even some clerics, Father James Martin uh, talked about back in 2012, he wrote an article about gun control. It's, it's always been a Catholic thing, always whatever. So there's the blame for that. 
there's also the blame uh, for legislation, uh, anti-trans legislation pushing her to doing this, right? So people have all these things that they blame. But I think what I'd like to do here, and hopefully what we can encourage most of the nation to do here is, what are we doing as a country? How are our systems creating people that, how are we creating this shooter, right? Because this shooter is an American, grew up in America, grew up uh, with the culture that we have here, all the technologies that we have here. We need an to excellent analyze. education. She went to that school, right? Correct. How came from a good family because mm -hmm. because we said obviously she's responsible. But I actually think that all the people that pushed her or created her into who she was are definitely to blame as well. And so uh, we there's an interesting poll that came out that you just did a piece on that mm -hmm. uh, American values have been declining, and, and I don't think that's incidental. I think mm -hmm. confidence in the country, all these things. If you could go into that a little bit, I think it was really enlightening when looking at how are we creating a society where people would do something like this. So this was a Wall Street Journal poll that came out just the beginning of this week, and it was tracking uh, ways that Americans, the poll surveyed over a thousand people in America. It was a pretty good cross-section. I went into um, the demographics that they selected. So they tried to take a proportional number of people from different ethnicities, of different political persuasions that represented what we know about demographics in America. And they're surveying them. They're asking questions about what people value as very important, important, not so important, not important at all, et cetera. And what the poll confirmed, I want to say, because for those of us who have been following cultural trends, nothing was a big surprise in these yep. results, right? Peter is nodding. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. So, but I think, you know, what it put front and center is values like patriotism, uh, religion, and having children, in particular, those three. Also, though, one of them was hard work. These were values that really tanked. I mean, we went from, in 1998, they, the poll asked the same thing. For patriotism, we went from 70% of Americans saying, yeah, love of country, very important to me, to 38%. And if you broke it down further by political persuasion, you can, again, no surprise, but bottom bucket for Democrats that you know, just over 20% thinking patriotism was very important uh, for them. So all of these, the sort of takeaway was that the traditional values that you would think are just American, that unite us, no longer do so. And, you know, some of some pundits were trying to like put a positive spin on this. And they're like, well, if you really look at it, I mean, people still thought it was important. That was, uh, uh, what was the guy's name over at um, Commentary, Commentary Magazine? Oh, Abe, yeah. Abe Greenwald. Yeah, he's like, it's not so bad. Like, we can still recognize America. I love the title of his piece. It was like, America, still recognizable. I'm like, <laughs> um, but the trends were what were really disturbing here. I mean, we're looking at from 1998, seeing these major point declines of 30, per 30 points in these values of religion, children, et cetera, but the real downturn being at 2019. So we're seeing nosedives uh, here. And and I don't, I mean, when a, when a civilization is heading in a direction at ever accelerating rates of not really wanting more children, not valuing religion, what is the social cost of that? These are values that even if you don't share religious faith with someone, you're benefiting from more Americans believing in things like community service, family, faith, uh, values outside of themselves. Well, the so things that when, connect us. The things that connect yeah. people. And if you feel isolated and disconnected, you don't feel right? the same feelings towards right. people that you don't know. 
And the other thing that really stuck out to me when I was analyzing the report, the numbers, um, was that one of the last questions was, um, do you do you think that your children's generation will be better off than you? And over 70% of respondents said no, right? Which to me, and that was across political persuasions, this sort of loss of national hope that things are going to get better, that things are getting better. Um, and to me, that speaks directly to this what we saw on Monday in Tennessee, um, yeah. because yeah. a nation without hope how how is someone with mental issues being told that we hate trans being told that seeing you know violence is the answer silence is violence so why shouldn't i just go shoot someone up you know like terry shilling's point right that um they're being told this over and over again coupled with just this the air we breathe being an atmosphere of hopelessness um it's again no surprises this week very bleak so i you know, as a fan of Loopcast, listening every week, one of the one of my favorite aspects is when Erica and Josh needle Tom a little for his youth, for his age. <laughs> and I say that because I am older than both Erica and Josh. I'm. I'm oh, I'm, does that uh, mean you're going to nuke me? Like I could, <laughs> yeah, I could, I could, I could say to Erica and Josh the things they say to Tom. Uh, it's not doing well for me. I'm 53 years old. I was born like literally in the last two weeks of the 1960s in December of 69. And I have to say, reading that article in the Wall Street Journal about this poll, and they offered a bunch of possible explanations. And I am sympathetic just from my own lifetime. Like I remember the 70s and 80s. I remember the 70s as a child. You know, I wasn't at Studio 54, but I remember the Saturday morning cartoons. I don't um, even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that you don't know that reference. Um, probably for the best. So okay. <laughs> I I have to say, something did change in this country after 9-11. That's a real thing. I completely agree with whatever expert put his finger on 9-11. And I'll tell you, I remember when 9-11 happened, um, you know, the the church was all over that. Like the first victim um, of 9-11, the first officially registered victim was a priest who had some debris fall on him at one of the towers. And as the firemen were going in, they were asking that priest, you know, please, Father, give me general absolution. I mean, that was that was still the America that we had in 2001, the day 9-11 hit. Now, jump ahead about a decade. I think it was maybe 2012 when you had the um, the Boston Marathon bombing and there were there were priests in Boston that wanted to minister when there were people lying on the streets, they were pushed away by the cops. Something happened between 2001 and 2012 and other people have written on this, but I really do think that the United States of America very, very wrongly looked at 9-11 and instead of seeing it as a particular ideology, militant Islam did this, they looked at it and said, well, religion in general did this. Religion in general is bad. And you start that's when you started seeing bumper stickers about science. Coexist. Yeah, yeah. Or science fl flies rockets to the moon and religion flies planes into buildings. Um, yeah. that, that's that, way worse than coexist. That's, yep, yep, <laughs> yeah. that, that's when you started uh, in the second George W. Bush administration. There was this hysteria about uh, theocracy. 
um, I, all, there was a real turn against God. And I, I must say, I've lived my whole life in post-1960s America, so to some degree the change had already occurred. The country I was growing up in in the 70s and 80s was already very different than the 40s and 50s, but we were still close enough to the great disruption of the 60s that a lot of what was so good about America was still there in a way that I don't think was true after 9-11. Like even, and look, Josh, I, Catholic Vote has written about this. Robbie George has written about this. There used to be a kind of cultural Catholicism, um, a cultural Christianity that even if you even if you weren't as serious about the faith as maybe the Loopcast is or its listeners, that you you still had some sort of general sense that to be an American is to be is to believe in God, to be religious, maybe not too religious. You don't want to be a weirdo, but to have some sort of basis in biblical religion. And it, it was really, it was after 9-11, it was in the 21st century that that was lost. And every year when 9-11 rolls around, it's a day of mourning for everyone. For me, I'm not just mourning the people who were lost that day or in the subsequent wars. I'm mourning the America that we still had on 9-11 that I think is gone now. That's how I read that poll. So Peter, let me ask you then. Uh, so, well, two things. I was taken home from preschool the day that 9-11 happened. So not to make you feel any type of way, but that's just the reality. Uh, yeah, I just remember seeing expressions on on adults' faces that I've never seen since, really. It was really bizarre to experience that as such a young kid. But uh, so this treatment then of the news story, because here's the narrative that I'm seeing everywhere. It's that she attended this Christian school. A lot of places didn't even re report that she identified as trans or was yep. going through anything like that. They said she was a former student she graduated, she wrote a manifesto, she clearly had animus against how she was treated within this school. And so people are kind of connecting the dots that are being laid here saying, well, Christianity was unfair, treated her poorly because she was trans, she was lesbian, whatever she identified as at the time. So does that treatment not surprise you then in lieu of the 9-11 death of Christianity in America? Not at all. And like the unspoken thing in that is therefore you had it coming. And I think of what of a, a, a phrase that Rod Dreher coined, the law of merited impossibility. It will never happen. And when it does, you bigots will deserve it. And, that I, you know, I feel like there's an element of that. I, I um, look, I, we began by talking about how we've we've got children and we we all feel this very personally. My three youngest attend um, the local parochial school in the town I live in <laughs> my um I have my, my next oldest child attends a local Catholic high school. This could happen to any of us. But I, I'll tell you another way in which I feel it personally. I don't want to overstate the connection. I don't talk about this very often. But about 10 years ago, there was a man here. In, in fact, it was John Durham who prosecuted him. There was a man here in Connecticut who sent me hundreds of anonymous letters threatening my life. And uh, I mean, he put a lot of work, a lot of effort into these letters. And what I remember is when he was caught, the Hartford Current, uh, by the way, on this transgender thing, how like not all the media is reporting it, the Hartford Current and the Waterbury Republican, another newspaper here in Connecticut, they both ran the exact same Associated Press article on it this morning, but the Current took out the one brief reference to this person being transgender. So the Hartford Current 10 years ago, and they wrote an editorial ostensibly defending me against the death threats, like, you know, 
Peter Wolfgang has the right not to have his life threatened. And yet in the editorial, they also said they, they seem to hint that maybe I did kind of have it coming because I chose kind of deserved it. Yeah. I, ch I chose to fight on the emotional terrain of values. So I have to expect criticism. You're an agitator, Peter. Yeah, I think that was the message. Maybe maybe in the show. <laughs> what notes, did you expect? In the show notes for this episode, I will send you guys the blog post that my wife wrote 10 years ago. She was she was not happy with the current over that. But I, <laughs> I, I feel imagine. like that's that's always kind of hinted like the proper things are said. Check off all the boxes to show you're you're a responsible party. But then you kind of it's a little different with us, isn't it? And look, Catholic vote in the Loopcast knows this better than anybody because you guys have been tracking all the attacks on the churches ever since the Dobbs leak and before all the attacks on pregnancy centers. And when we're the victims, somehow it's a, it's a little different, isn't it? It's not treated as a hate crime. It's a little different when it's us. I, I haven't seen any big companies change their logos to have a cross in it. Yeah, like I support but, the Christians. Yeah. <laughs> Our thoughts go to the Christians. Thoughts and prayers, no. yeah. Like thoughts BLM, is, is someone going to send, is Amazon going to send a million dollars over to Catholic Vote to say they're <laughs> sorry for what we've been through? No, they're probably going to, Probably going to ban us from their servers would be probably yeah, more of a likely outcome. Well, yeah, uh, I just wanted yeah. to pick up too, Peter, on the um, the shift that you noticed. I think we had an icon of it, uh, the shift from being a country that responds with Christian thoughts and prayers and action, of course, to a, a culture that rejects that as the problem. So on The View this morning, Whippy Goldberg one of my, my favorites, Sister Act, former, former nun, Whippy, Go yeah. Whippy Goldberg, she wore a big black T-shirt. And on the top of it, it said thoughts and prayers, and it had striked out, strike out, strike through, cross out thoughts and prayers, and below it was, um, what was it, like protest and change uh, or legislation change in policy. policy yeah. yeah, and so th she's saying, of course, awesome. that somehow this religious response of our thoughts and prayers are with you is somehow diametrically opposed to actually taking action. And I just want to put out there that the problem is that they are not diametrically opposed. And I would say that any change that is implemented or any response, practical political response to school shootings that does not take into account the transcendent through prayer and human reason and logical thought before they act is going to just exacerbate the problem. So no, Whoopi, your t-shirt is wrong and it's actually going to make things worse. So Whoopi Goldberg, cultural icon. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm also going to challenge you guys here because this is going on everywhere, right? The first thing that always comes up is we need an assault weapons ban. People should not have guns. Everyone should turn them in. Can we at least I I know we at least have to touch this. Do we see this as a potential solution to the problem that we're seeing of school shootings here? Well, that's we could do a whole episode on that, couldn't we? On just that topic. Yeah. Here, here's the thing. I'm not automatically opposed to gun control, to what they call common sense solutions. But as someone who's in the political process, and Second Amendment is not my main thing. I'm, I'm focused on the, you know, life and family and religious liberty. But I, I have to say, I have a lot of sympathy for the gun rights crowd, for the Second Amendment crowd, just because as someone in the, in the, in the thick of the political process myself, the, uh, the Second Amendment crowd, their lack of trust in politicians in the political system is entirely justified. They have every reason to think, I don't trust you. You say you just want to do this little thing. 
But what you really want to do is take take our guns away altogether. Again, right. not even my my main issue, but I can tell you they're absolutely right about that. You can't trust these guys. Now, if you could somehow build trust, if you could somehow, <clears throat> this is the way democracy is supposed to work. It doesn't so much anymore, but the way it's supposed to work is you you settle for half a loaf. There's compromise, that sort of thing. <clears throat> if If the two sides could meet halfway, if there could be like, look, we're going to do something very basic on guns, but we're going to we're going to tie it in with some sort of we know you guys say you 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 people on the right say it's really a mental health issue. <clears throat> so we're going to do some huge thing like this. You know, the business with this person turned out to be transgender. It, it's very unusual for females to engage in this behavior. Was it the hormones is perhaps synthetic masculinity toxic? Can we talk about that? Like if the if the, if the left could somehow gore one of its own sacred cows at the same time, maybe that would build some trust. Let, let's say, you know, the left has a, a very selective interest in preventing the murder of children. If we provided some a combination of some gun control measure with maybe a ban on late term abortions. Now, look, this is this is never going to happen. But if you if you want to actually build some sort of trust, because at the root of this problem, and why we're stalemated and why things never change while people die is that there's no trust. Like the trust is gone. And I don't blame right. the Second Amendment people for that. Yeah. They're absolutely right. I mean, we see it on the issues we worked on. When I was fighting gay marriage 20 years ago in Connecticut and I went up to the legislature and I said, boy, this, that and the other thing happened will happen if you legalize it. I would have never dreamed of saying Someday you'll have drag queen story hour for toddlers in the public libraries. Right. Someday right. you'll have a, a, a woman who identifies as a man shooting nine-year-olds in Christian schools. I would have been locked out of the building. I mean, but this, or laughed out of the building. But th this is but the here world. we are. In fact, yeah. this should be on your show notes, too. I don't know if Catholic vote knows this, but <laughs> I, got a, I got a whole list of recommendations. Heck yeah. In Send them over. In the April issue of First Things magazine, which is already available online, they have a writer named Matthew Schmitz who wrote an he, he wrote an article called How Gay Marriage Changed America. This is the best article that anyone has written on the subject in the eight years since Obergefell uh, forced same sex marriage on the entire country. Everything this guy said came true. And it was completely reasonable to think this is where we would head. And the, coming back to your gun control question and what happened in Nashville. The, the Second Amendment people are absolutely right. It's not, it's not even my issue. It's not my passion. And I'm completely with them. I'm 100% with the Second Amendment people on this. There's absolutely no reason to trust those guys. Yeah, I mean, I just... It is a tough issue. I, I always go back to the fact that it, high magazine weapons, weapons that are capable of killing a lot of people, have been around way past times when schools were being shot up. I mean, the first school shooting happened and that was already well past machine guns were available and people had them um and so i just think guns haven't changed we've changed yes. and so to just eliminate guns i don't even think you're really eliminating the root of the issue and i also go back to these are all people that why would you want to allow people to have guns that are getting them illegally i'd say the best policy possible is to have the most common sense, responsible, well-meaning people own firearms because it's just it's just a threat mitigation. I mean, unfortunately, we live in a time where people's mental states are 
terrible, but I want to play. Uh, I want to play my old guy card again in this conversation. Go for it. Okay? This is great. I'm a I'm a 53 year old man. Okay, I grad <laughs> I graduated high school in 1988, and I can tell you. I and we've always had guns, as Tom said. Right, that's not new. The school shootings are what's new. That's a thing that really only started in the 1990s. And yeah. before the Columbine. 1990s, and I, I remember the 70s and 80s, you never saw stuff like this. Columbine was, I think, maybe 1999. As you got towards the end of the 90s, that's when you started seeing these shootings. And it's worth asking, like, what changed? The gun thing didn't change. Something else changed. Was it, was it putting all the kids on Ritalin? Like, suddenly in the 80s when they were children... The millennials, the people right after me, we suddenly discovered uh, the existence of ADD. Was it putting newborns in like daycare as soon as they were born? Was it having half of America's children grow up in a home without their married mom and dad? I mean, like the country was changing. And at some point by the end of the 90s, you got the school shootings. And of course, we've continued to perpetrate still crazier radical experiments on children and family life in this country. Again, I come back to 20 years ago when we were warning in the gay marriage debate, like, you know, when they said, oh, children will do fine with with two parents. And we didn't say as long as there's the number two. We didn't say, oh, no, they won't. We said, we don't really know because this is such a radical new experiment. We don't know what the effects of this is going to be. And I think that's, you know, to take it out of just gay marriage. That's true on a, on a large scale in American society. The trans stuff that we're pushing in the schools, the uh, putting all these kids on hormone blockers, it, it's, it's really um, off the wall. And that, like, that's, that's what we need to talk about. The guns aren't new. The guns are a crutch. And I'm going to tell you a dark suspicion I have um, as to motivation, as to why the politicians always go to this. And by the way, it was Connecticut's own U.S. Senator in Connecticut, Chris Murphy, who actually first invented prayer shaming. He was the guy who first said after one of these shootings, you can keep your your hopes yeah. and prayers and or prayers, your thoughts yeah. and prayers. Um, but my dark suspicion is this. Going after the guns, going after the NRA, it's sort of like going after big tobacco. Like the, the gun lobby, like big tobacco, happens to underwrite a lot of the Republican Party. Like they're a big supporter of the Republican Party. And so it's sort of a win-win when these shootings happen that the Democrats only want to talk about guns and don't want to talk about anything else. And it's sort of like, you know, they went at Big Tobacco, which was another big underwriter of the Republican Party, but they're totally cool with legalizing marijuana. They're very concerned with the shooting of um, children in schools, but they're totally cool with killing them right up until the moment of birth I, I just can't help but see other motivations here. And this comes back to my concern about trust in the political system. Yeah, I agree. And and hopefully now we can move into, like you said, a lot of people don't care about the root causes. They go right to, say, the agenda that they want to push yep. or opponents they want to take out. But as Catholics, we have an anthropology in which we care deeply about the human person. And so we've had, in this latest example, an individual clearly deeply disturbed uh, with forces outside of her control that um, were influencing her down a path in which you are uh, taking uh, hormones, things that radically change your your mind state, your body. Uh, I'd imagine she was probably pretty isolated. I've seen some uh, text release 
She was reaching out to old middle school teammates talking about how she loved them and how she feels like she can't escape right now and clearly a disturbed, isolated, sad individual. And I, I, and I want everyone to listen to this as well. Show, as Peter says, show notes. There was an excellent, excellent, excellent interview uh, done by uh, Matt Fred with Pines of Aquinas. He did it with Jason Everett. And if you're like, how did Jason Everett come? The chastity guy? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought too, because I, I mean, when I was 15, I heard I heard a chastity talk, and I'm like, "What? This guy is coming on talking about, you know, the transgender thing going on and gender going on in society." And I was blown away at how well-read, well-spoken, and compassionate he sounded on this issue. I mean, he had talked to just about everyone. He 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 tied the lineage back to the origins of the gender movement with Alfred Kinsey, uh, people like that, in the in the 50s doing experiments on children. Uh, he also talked about having personal conversations with people who identify in the LGBT community to talk about how we can understand what they're going through better. And I think what, what I, what I took away from that interview, and I hope that we can maybe have our two cents on is he was being asked about the difference between what he's doing and what Matt Walsh is doing. Matt Walsh obviously dropped the, what is a woman documentary, highly recommend go watch it. But Matt Walsh, when he goes places, obviously has people shouting him down. He's getting a lot of death threats. Uh, he's very much a culture warrior. He celebrates the fact that he's a culture warrior. I'd say we join him there. Um, and yet, when asked why he doesn't, why Jason Everett doesn't have people outside of his talks yelling at him, he said he's not really sure why. But one thing that he always makes sure to do is when people have an animus and come to him before the show, he said, "Hey, let me let's get a beer after this. Let's go to dinner. Like let let me talk to you. I want to understand what's going on with you, who you are, what you like, what you're into." And he has these conversations with individuals who maybe claim to be lesbian, gay, transgender, gender dysphoric, whatever. And he said almost always he finds that the root problem is not that they want to be a woman. It's that they were missing love at some point in their life that they should have gotten proper in development. So for example, uh, a child that maybe he was talking to a, a kid. He's like, I, I was in sports. I did all these things. Well, this is a boy. And he, he said he was a girl. Now he wanted to be transgender. Um, he said, I was in sports. I did all these things well. I got great grades and I just felt like I could never be enough for my father. But my two sisters felt like they could do no wrong. My, my dad always like doted over them and loved them. And he's like, do you think that you would have been loved more if you were a girl, if you were a, a daughter? And he said, yes, I do. And so that moment for me was like, oh my gosh, like, I think it's just so easy for me to get caught up because it feels good. It feels good. Like talking about logic and arguments and reasons. And I think all those things are really important. But I think an element to this that hopefully like we could talk about as like it's a part of our Catholic faith and tradition here is just reaching out to the individual person, having that kind of like pastoral type conversation with people, understanding them and relating to them to kind of recreate the fabric of society. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? So my friend Austin Ruse in Crisis Magazine several years ago, he wrote, and Austin is very prolific, he writes a lot, the single best article in my opinion, that Austin Ruse ever wrote was something, and I'm, I'm going to your point about the juxtaposition you made between Matt Walsh and Jason Everett. Austin, several years ago, and Austin can be, he can be an edgy guy. Austin, several years ago, wrote an article called, uh, I'm trying to remember the name, I believe it was called The Roughnecks and the Thoughtfuls. And what he, what he was talking about is that there's two different ways of approaching these matters. You've got what he called the roughnecks. Those are people like, um, I can't think of her name right now, but the, the blonde from Connecticut who was um, 
she she's she's very edgy. She's a bomb thrower. It's not Laura Ingram. Is um, it Tommy Lauren? Not Tommy Lauren. See, I'm I'm dating myself because <laughs> she's not even Tommy Lauren. The next generation down. She um she was she was very big for a while. She would be a guest on Bill Maher. Um, can't even remember her name now. But she she was an example of these people that are like bomb throwers. And then. Uh, he talked about oh, Ann Coulter. Ann Coulter is the oh, one. Oh yeah. my gosh, that's I a remember her. Whoa, yeah, 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 yeah. But I think Laura Ingram kind of in the same vein. She's Laura, a little less edgy. Laura is but, kind yeah. of yeah. Um, a rough neck. Ann Coulter really was but controversial. Ann yeah. Coulter yeah. to me is the iconic. If you're looking for someone to represent the roughnecks, it would be her. And if you're looking for one of the thoughtfuls, he mentions Robbie George, and of Princeton University, who who is so. Gentle and and he's all about the logic too, but he's he's so gentle and loving and you know he's all about reason and Austin's point and I agree with it a hundred percent is you need both like you this is this is a multi we're up against a, a sort of many headed hydra and so when it comes to this issue you need the Matt Walshes you need a guy who's going to go out there and be like hey let me tell you about what's happening at this hospital in Tennessee. And who's just going to expose the same, the, you know, and I, I think we see this um, in our Lord, right? He was the perfect, somehow he was a, co- a perfect combination of all four of the ancient Greek temperaments. So, you know, some t- sometimes he would kick over the table that where they were selling the, in the, in the temple, but mostly that really wasn't him. But you, you need the guy, you need the Matt Walshes who are going to do this. You need them. So I don't mean this as any criticism of them. I, that guy's a hero of mine. But ultimately, ultimately, if we're ever going to beat this, it's going to be the Jason Everett's. Like what Jason, what Jason described, and I'm not saying that. At like if the if the Matt Walsh's were to disappear, we're probably not going to beat this. We need them both. But in terms of like, like at the end of the day, you can win the argument but lose the person, and we want to win the person. And I think of of um, Saint Jose Maria Scriba, who said, "Out of a hundred souls, we're interested in a hundred. And that what Jason Everett brings to it is that that, um, you know, that beautiful Catholic thing. Why at the end of the day, and I, I love, you know, my friends of other worldviews, other um, faith denominations. At the end of the day, there's a reason why we refer to it, Catholicism, as the fullness of the faith. Like Jason can really see the whole person there. And that's what you got to reach because, Tom, you're right. And we have actually headquartered here in Connecticut is the Catholic apostolate courage. And they will be the, they um, deal with the, the LGBT issues. They will be the first to tell you. And it goes exactly to what you were saying, Tom, when you were paraphrasing uh, Jason Everett. There's some sort of poverty there. There's some sort of loss. There's something missing. Sometimes it's something with the same sex parents. So um, with the daughter, it's something in the relationship with the mother that she wasn't getting enough mother uh, love from the mother or with the son, something with the father. Sometimes it, it could just be like in the person's head, like it, it's not really true, but that was the person's perception. Uh, you, as a, the parent may have done everything, everything right, everything the parent could, but that was, that was just a child's perception somehow. But um, these are the things that has to be addressed. And it needs to be said, people who suffer from gender dysphoria, what a horrible thing. I mean, they need all the help, prayer, support, that we can give them, it, they're not our enemies. The folks who are the, frankly, I would say, big pharma is our enemies. 
the people who are making money off of this, uh, the school system that's promoting this. But these poor folks who think they may have been born in, in the wrong body, the only way you can deal with this is, is the way Christ would, the way a guy like Jason Everett would. We actually, we have a guy. I'm not speaking out of school here because it's a matter of the public record. He, he publishes a letter to the editor in our local newspaper every other day. But we have a guy here named Roberta in uh, Waterbury. Roberta is this dude who wears a dress, who's a very devout Catholic, aside from the fact that he wears a dress. He, um, he attends Mass like daily at the Basilica in Waterbury, and he writes letters to the editor. This is a weird thing. Like some of the, um, the, male trans, the, the biological male transgender community, there's a minority within a minority there that is actually very politically conservative even though they, he likes to wear a dress. And he's always writing letters to the editor saying, look, I'm a devout Catholic. I grew up in Waterbury. Uh, this, it's horrible that even though I consider myself transgender, nobody should be doing this to children. This is a choice I made as an adult. I'm getting counseling from our pastor here at the Basilica. I have not done anything to biologically change my body because I've been counseled that that is against Catholic teaching and I will never deny Catholic teaching. And that, that's a guy who's like, he's on a journey and he's going to, if he carries on, he's going to end up in the right place. And that's what we got to do is just love people as they are. Out of a hundred souls, we're interested in a hundred. Yeah. And Erica, I wonder if you could touch on this too. We often, often come up against, there's two different approaches and mm -hmm. the argument right now within the Catholic church, is the church large enough? to include everyone, regardless of their lifestyle, their choices, whether or not they're committing things that would be considered sins, uh, or uh, I, I, I like to think of it as like acceptance versus inclusion, right? Mm -hmm. Acceptance yeah. would just be like, come on on board, do whatever you want, but you know, just come on, you could be Catholic. And then inclusion would be like, okay, the doors are open to you at all times, but it's an invitation to rad radically change yourself through the grace given to us by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So right. how do you see this kind of playing into the conversation? Yeah, I think this is absolutely part of the conversation. This is part of the, the confusion in the church right now about what does it mean to enlarge your tent, right? St. Pope, Pope Francis, did I just say that? Pope Francis just, <laughs> I must be getting tired. Uh, Pope <laughs> Francis says that, you know, we have to enlarge the tent and go to the margins. And I think it's really, it, the beautiful thing about the church is that you know, to use the language of the National Catholic Reporter uh, and Cardinal McElroy, it, it includes everybody. The church is radically inclusive, but the inclusion is we are all included in the call to salvation, radical conversion of life, and radical trust in Jesus Christ that he will accomplish in us what he's called us to be. And what I see in, in Catholics who say, well, you know, we're, we aren't listening enough. We aren't, we aren't listening to LGBTQ. What that's code for and what that is a spokescreen for is you need to shut up and stop calling anyone to any conversion of any kind because that's judgy. No, no, no. We're not being judgy. We're echoing the words of Christ and we're calling ourselves included accountable to perfection. Be ye perfect as your father is perfect. And to, to look at the, to look at LG, I find it so demeaning when, you know, we get tut-tutted by um, the National Catholic Reporter, by Father James Martin for, for not being inclusive and not taking LGBTQ. I find that so demeaning 
two people who struggle with serious sin and confusion. They're like telling to the Robertas them, of the world. That would yeah, be a total to, slap I mean, in the face Roberta, yep. you are probably entering heaven way above, yep. um, way before me, because you are actually <laughs> fighting the battle. I mean, it's saying yeah. to them, you don't have what it takes to be holy or good, and you don't even need to. And No, God's grace is sufficient to all yep. of us. And you need, like, just, it breaks my heart. It, it really breaks my heart to see Catholics who know better to have such little trust in Jesus Christ. I mean, he walked on water. St. Peter walked on water. What am I? Uh, we watched The Chosen with my kids. I don't know. We're probably going to get like kickback from loopers being like, The Chosen's Mormon. Like, you shouldn't watch it. Okay, guys, like, get, you know, you can, you can look at art by Protestants and enjoy it in a museum. Why not on TV? Come on. But anyway, we watched The Chosen. I loved the walking on water scene with Jesus Christ because I hadn't really thought about it. And like, it you know, for a long time and, that's it. Like we're all called to walk on water morally and metaphorically with Jesus Christ. And that's what the church is calling all of us to be. We're all included. We're all told to get out of the boat with Peter and walk to Jesus. Um, LGBTQ included, myself included, um, no matter what we struggle with. So, so absolutely. This is a good reminder, I think for everyone too here. If you know someone in your life or you see opportunities of where you you can, everyone can pretty much recognize it when people are isolated or lonely, or they seem a little bit off, you know, sometimes those people are really only a couple of conversations away from from real radical healing, friendship, even if it's just to connect people to the right resources. But um, I think it just sometimes the tough thing about, I guess, being in the industry that we are doing the work that we do is I just it just further and further feels entrenched like a war between, you know, this side and this side. And we're on this side and they're on this side. And then the the casualty of that is the actual human beings within it. I think the real the real villains here are the adults in the room, the people that know better and the people mm-hmm. making money, yep. profiting off of all this. They are going to have to answer to God yep. one day. But the, the victims are the people that are getting swept up in this. And they are people that are deserving and desiring love just as much as mm-hmm. you, you and I, anyone really. So I just was really inspired by Jason's testimony to... Like, man, how simple is it? Say like, hey, let's have a beer. Let's talk. Yep. You know, I really want to understand the what you're going through. The evangelization by so. beer. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, and if hey, you don't you know, like beer, bourbon's fine have, too. Have, Wine, have a non-alcoholic tea? beer. Tea's you, good. Yeah, you know, tea's I'm great. Homeschooling moms like tea. Yeah. I almost got canceled here for saying I like tea. Yeah. You know, Tom, I was breakfast in the afternoon. It's wonderful. I'm going to lower myself to say I'm sorry for the times that I belittled your your tea habit. So I'm here to have a, I'll have a tea with you. Let's just go hang out. Yeah. All right, so uh, we can sip some tea in the Twilight Zone. Welcome to the Twilight Zone. Woo! Peter, you made it to the Twilight Zone. Yeah, you, I think you, we you better go straight test. to Twilight. Uh, with fire. Welcome to the Trust Tree, okay? We're all in the Trust Tree here if you're listening to the Loopcast at, at this Twilight Zone hour. My Twilight Zone was last week. We made a controversial graphic. We have a very talented graphic designer here. Ooh. We made a thumbnail for the episode. And if you're not seeing these thumbnails, they're on our website. They're on YouTube. We made a thumbnail of... Former President Donald Trump in a mugshot picture. And this sent shockwaves through the community. We were accused of many things, among them being liberals. Uh, people thought we got hacked. People thought that we were unbelievably disrespectful to the, to the former president. Uh, we were even accused by the own president of the organization to be in the DeSantis fan club, direct mm. club. Brian. And Ouch. I got. I am look, in the DeSantis look, fan the, club. The president of Catholic Vote said that about you guys? The president of Catholic Vote, Brian Birch, said we were in the DeSantis fan club. 
and he wants us to have someone come on who's really pro-Trump. And I actually think that would be a fascinating be interview. Fine. So I'm, I'm all for the, the argument for Trump. Here's the thing. I hold no animus against Donald Trump. The thumbnail, the point of the thumbnail was to generate a, attention, be interesting, and get people to click. And guess what? Check. It got all of you talking about it. So no, we do not desire for Donald Trump to go to jail. Of course, he's being politically persecuted. Anyone who listened to the episode knows that. But we got so many emails from people who just completely missed the point. Our, we, the, the previous episode, we had President Biden dressed up as a surgeon with a scalpel in a, a, bloody surgery, a bloody scalpel in a surgery room, implying that he's contributing to the mutilation of kids, in which I believe legislatively he is. But we got no issues with that one. But we got more feedback on Donald Trump in, with a mugshot. And think about all the iconic people in history who have mugshots. It's actually like kind of a badge of honor. I'm okay. We have uh, Johnny Cash, iconic. Like we have heroes have mugshots. John it's Brown. If we want a real throwback, Peter, that was like when you were a kid, right, John Brown? Yeah, was like. <laughs> so once, yeah that went way over my head because I'm young. But um, it was the Civil War, Tom. Yeah. Just to but quickly. if I could just—he was from Torrington, Connecticut, by the way. So <laughs> just gonna throw that out there. Tidbit. <laughs> so um, if I could just if I could just set the record straight here, we have a primary coming up in which there's going to be. Republicans running against each other, okay? The Democrats most likely are going to run Biden, but if they have a primary, guess what? People got to earn my vote, no matter what political persuasion you are, and I'm not here to endorse anyone at this point in time, okay? When you all need to earn my vote, you need to court me, you need to court Catholics, and I'm not here to make a premature decision. But guess what? We have a podcast called The Loopcast, and we have to talk on it. And when events happen that include the former president, we need to talk about it and we need to make it interesting, informative, and entertaining. And that's what we're doing here. So thank you for all of you that have stayed with us through this controversy, but we will make it through. And Brian, I don't appreciate your comments, but I really appreciate you <laughs> signing my paycheck and keeping me employed. I respect you very much as a leader and, and as a president. I just got but, major dad vibes from you, Tom. That was like my dad sitting me down and being like, this is how it is. This is how it is, guys. Look, but guys, we do love the, the feedback. Straight. We love you. Yeah. If you if you debate you something we said, please email us. We love hearing love from it. you. Loopcast at catholicvote.org. We want to hear from you. Yeah, yeah. Tom, thank you for the little like mission statement. I don't know. We'll see if I cut the part about Brian because I do love him and I don't want to be fired. But mm -hmm. um yes, so that's it. I'm out with my Twilight Zone. That's all I have to say. Controversy over. Controversy over. Okay. Well, um, should I go next or should we let Erica, the guests go up. last? All right. Save the yeah, best for last. I'll go next. the best for last. Yeah. yeah. yeah so I was going to do Agatha Christie, who like Roald Dahl has been eviscerated by the sensitivity readers in London. But I'm actually going to go personal here and I'm going to do a, you know, a shout out to National Geographic. National Geographic announced this week that it has ended its Geography B. And I am devastated because I was a participant in said Geography B way back in the day. Talk about throwback. Did, did you ever and, win? Oh, no, I actually lost because I thought that the white gold of Afghanistan was uh, rice, but it was cotton. Not to, not to flex, but I did win my eighth grade geography B. Oh, yeah? And all for the record, Are last week- Well, that's a flex, but then last week I did not know that there was a Portland in Maine, so take uh, that as your Well, mind. it's all good. And you didn't know who John Brown is, so uh -huh. there you go. That's okay. But anyway, I loved their statement because it was, it was uh, I, I juxtapose it with the 
the portrait that they published of the last ever, the final round of the last ever National Geographic Geography Bee, in their statement, they said that they are discontinuing permanently the National Geographic GOB to make way for a new transformative, transformative, can't read, and innovative geographic, geography, I can't read, oh my gosh, education <laughs> opportunities in which students around the globe can more equitably participate. So they're going to make it more diverse, more equitable. Wait. And when you look at the photograph, <laughs> Wait, all but one diverse? of the kids is a person of color. Wait. Wait, but how could you make the geography be more diverse? Isn't it just geography? Like we all know. Um, dude, you are so logical. <laughs> I don't even know if I can talk to you. This is the Twilight Zone. Have the, they have, have the to maps make it. Updated? There are too many person of color children winning the geography B. Oh my gosh. We got to discontinue it because That's it was sad. all Indian American males. It's ridiculous. So, you know. Peter, are you, Peter, are you a geography guy? Am I what? Are you a geography guy? Uh, I, I'd have to say no, only in a very large sense, but if I were in a geography B, I would certainly lose. So a, a, a large sense is in like, you appreciate living in America. Yes. Yeah. Nice. I, I like Respect. that our neighbors are Canada and Mexico, even though Mexico has been a problem lately, we could do a lot worse when you look at the globe. It's true. For neighbors. Mm -hmm. It's very true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. Yeah. And having those two oceans on each side of us, that's pretty it's really sweet. Nice. It's been a pretty yeah. good run so far. Been helpful. Pretty sweet, yeah. so, I have to say, yeah. Yeah. So. <clears throat> all right, Peter, take it away. All right. You're on, What's Peter. happening? So, for my Twilight Zone, let me, I need to issue a preface. I need to beg the indulgence of the Loopcast listeners for this. Because what I, what interests me here, it's a bit of a niche. And isn't that the Catholic world? Like, everything, like, those of us here who listen to the Loopcast or are into Catholic boat, we're one niche. We're like the culture warriors, right? And there are other niches. There's the, there's the uh, whispers in the logia guy who's like, what, what did Pope Francis have for breakfast? And what, do, what does this <laughs> mean for the next conclave? You know, the people that are paying attention to every bit of, of the pillar, rumor, yeah, right out of yeah. out of the Vatican, like the, like a like a Soviet Sovietologist watching the Politburo or something. Um, and there's you know there's there's the uh, there there's another niche. There's like the guy who, who thinks he's the second coming of Scott Hahn. Who like he wants to fight Protestants all day and night, and you know he's got his apologetics down. Those are not my niches. However, in addition, well, the culture war one is obviously, but a, a niche within a niche within a niche is the Catholic Bible nerd or Bible geek, and particularly the kind who's into the different translations of the Catholic Bible into English. For the last few years, I have been very excited over the um the publication of the English Standard Version Catholic edition of the Bible. Those who follow this sort of thing may be aware that the translation that we hear every Sunday in Mass in, in the United States is called the New American Bible, the NAB or NABRE. It was revised a few years ago, and it's being revised yet again. There's going to be another version out in uh in about two more years. And that, that version that we are all forced to um, hear every Sunday is widely panned. Like, nobody likes it for a variety of, of, uh, of reasons. You know, there's, like, another niche, of course, is, is the Latin Mass crowd, right? They don't, for, for a variety of reasons, they don't like the Novus, like the Novus Ordo really, really gets under their skin. The way they feel about the Novus Ordo is the way I feel about the New American Bible. Like I literally, <laughs> every every Sunday morning, I, true story, every Sunday morning, 
I go to the USCCB's website, the bishop's website, and I look at what the readings are for that Sunday, like that I'm going to be at church in a couple hours from now listening to, I take the, the chapter and verse, the book and chapter and bi- verse, and I plug it into the Bible Gateway website just to read those verses in the English Standard Version instead, because I so do not like, like the NAB actually so, creates a barrier, but I haven't even gotten to my Twilight Zone yet. But wait, yeah, so your, your, favorite, your favorite preferred version is ESV? Yes. ESV. Oh, of Got the it. modern okay. Bibles, and this is actually this is actually a Bible, believe it or not, that came out of the evangelical Protestant world. There's a whole backstory behind how this Bible came to be, and we only got a cat that was like around 2001 or so, final version, 2016. Again, I'm a Bible nerd. I, I, I know all this stuff, or, or I know it to some degree. There are people who know it much better than me. 2018, this is a weird story. The, the Catholic Bishops' Conference of India worked with Crossway, which is the publisher, the very evangelical, very reformed Calvinist publisher of the, um, of the ESV Catholic Bible to get a, a Catholic edition of the ESV. Now, so, of course, some things had to be changed to make it Catholic, but they worked with Crossway. They got that. And then a year later, too much fanfare. There were articles everywhere, National Catholic Register. Too much fanfare here in the United States. The Augustine Institute put out that they, they had like exclusive rights to sell the the U.S. edition of the ESV Catholic edition. Now that this is actually very important, believe it or not, on a global level, because all the other English speaking countries are going to use the ESV as their lectionary now. Some of huh. them, like India, already has, and like UK, Australia, they're all, they're all New Zealand, they're all moving in the direction where we're going to have one lectionary for the entire English-speaking world, except for the United States, because the bishops own the copyright on the NAB and make money off of it. So they, <laughs> so that, so in the USA, it's all the money. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. So I, Wait, so, bummer. Unless, so Peter, are you like the type of guy that like, you know how for sneakers, like people will camp outside of like, uh, sneaker places to get the latest drop. So, like, will you be camping outside of like the, the publisher for this new? <laughs> it's, it's a weird He's thing. To Denver. I only do that for Bibles. Like the way if you go <laughs> if you if you go on the shopping network, like on YouTube, there's like shopping network videos about yeah. new Bibles where they'll they'll show you the leather and is there ghosting? Can you see what's on the other page? It's just this. Peter's got a playlist. It's this, this, it's this is awesome. little idiosyncrasy that I have. So I was That's very, not a bad one to have. I was very excited, awesome. you know, and when, it, when, when work is too stressful and there's too much going on at the legislature in Hartford, I start watching YouTube videos about different Bible translations. <laughs> That's what I do. That's how I, I, I unwind, how I relax. So the Catholic bishops are coming out with a, a new translation of the New American Bible. They're going to update it. The new, if you guys have the New American Bible, the joke about that is the the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures, but the devil wrote the footnotes. Yes. It's very, like the, the scripture scholarship, is, and this is, again, I'm dating myself. You guys probably never heard of Richard McBrien, but it, it's very, um, the scripture scholarship is of a certain era when the Catholic left had just totally overtaken that stuff. And so the, the, um, the new version of the NAB that will be available in 2025 will have a whole new lectionary it's going to be more of a literal translation from the original languages instead of sort of dynamic equivalence is what they call it now. Um, 
So I, here in Hartford, the auxiliary bishop that we have, Bishop Bentoncourt, happens to be a scripture scholar. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw him at the, the Connecticut State Council of the Knights of Columbus had their McGivney dinner the other day, their annual awards. And I was there, I saw Bishop Bentoncourt, and because I'm a Bible nerd, I started... Um, <laughs> you cornered him. I cornered him, I started talking his ear off, and I'm like, Bishop, you know, the NAB, the the New American Bible, really? You guys, you guys are going to update it? He's like, yeah, yeah, the bishops are going to update it. I'm like, oh my God, the thing is unsalvageable. You need to just get rid of it. Just, <laughs> just get the ESB standard, uh, you know, get the, get the ESB Catholic edition. I, I mean, you guys are really, you're, you're going to revise the New American Bible. And he says, yeah, I'm on the committee. I've been working on it for four years. Peter, oh, no, insert Peter. foot. <laughs> he loved it. He loved it, though. We were, yeah, we were, I, I totally did. inserted my, but we were, we were going back and forth on all the translation, but that's, that's my crazy, totally niche within a niche Twilight Zone. Woo. Have you have you sold this script to Hollywood yet? Yeah, you really. I think this would make to. a fantastic movie. I was. This was like a drama I never thought I needed. Look, the loop has the loop has a very big. You guys cast a wide net. Whenever I'm um, <laughs> whenever an article I wrote is on the loop, or I'm on the loop cast, you would not believe the people I hear from. Peter, sell that script to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the meantime, we got to end this one. Thank you so much for listening, Peter. Thank you for joining. Really appreciate it. Always, where can people reach you? Where can people see your stuff? So I am the head of Family Institute of Connecticut. You can reach us on our website, CT is in Connecticut, ctfamily.org. You can also reach me personally um, via my personal Facebook, facebook.com slash Peter Wolfgang. It's unbelievable. It's like, for all those that thought Facebook was dead, Peter's bringing it back. Um, So yeah, that does for this episode of the Loopcast. Thank you so much for being here with us. We appreciate you so much. Ways that you can help the show, uh, subscribe. Subscribe on the platform you're listening to, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening to, you can subscribe. Uh, Leave us a review, throw us five stars. It really goes a long way. If you leave a written review, we also appreciate that, specifically on Apple Podcasts, it really helps. And then you can reach us at all times at loopcast at catholicvote.org. Our personal inbox, yes, it is me. I'm answering the emails. I'd love to speak with you. Uh, We've had some great comments so far. So, Uh, That being said, uh, we're praying for you. We ask all of you to pray, especially for this tragedy that unfortunately we had to cover. Pray for the repose of the souls of everyone involved and for healing for that community. Um, And we love you guys. See you on the next one.